Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 221, another Turpin interview from the Unicoi Callmaker Show. And I am your host and the guy who saw 10 deer Friday but did not pull the trigger. And I will share that story with you in just a moment. But right now we are 51 days, 12 hours, 48 minutes, and zero seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So as most of you probably know, I have yet to squeeze the trigger on a deer this year. In fact, while I have been hunting, I have seen only two deer while I've had a gun in my hand. And this weekend, that trend continued. So Friday afternoon, I was running a bit late getting out of town and headed to the hunting camp. So I stopped at my property in Chilton County, a little bit south of Birmingham, and hunted there for a couple of hours. So I turned into the gate of the property and so just to give you kind of an idea i own a very small piece of property that is part of a nearly 2,000 acre development and in this development we have a nice size bass fishing lake and all of the property owners there are allowed to hunt on their properties and so as i'm driving in and driving past all of my neighbors properties, I'm seeing deer left and right. In fact, I saw 10 deer from the time that I turned into the gate until I got to my property. And I thought to myself, the deer are really moving. So this is going to be a great afternoon. And I may actually squeeze the trigger on a deer this afternoon just so I can have some more meat in the freezer to carry me through the spring and summer. So I get to my property, get out of the truck, climb into my stand on one of my food plots, and I sit and wait. And, well, at least when I got to the hunting camp after dark, and my dad asked me if I saw anything that afternoon, I could say I saw 10 deer because I didn't see a single one while I was sitting in the stand with a gun in my hand. And that's about how my deer season has gone. Now, granted, I have not hunted nearly as much this deer season as I have in years past. Part of the reason is that I've been out of town some. We've had so much rain, and it seems that the rain is coming on the weekends. And I'm not all that gung-ho about deer hunting to start with, so I certainly am not going to go sit in the rain for three to four hours twice a day waiting on a deer to walk by me. And another reason that I haven't deer hunted a whole lot is that we've been doing quite a bit of work at our new hunting camp trying to get it ready for hunting season. And because we have been getting so much rain, it has really delayed us in getting everything finished. So when we get opportunities to get out there and do some work, to get maybe one thing on our to-do list completed, like hanging up a skinning rack, then doing that one thing is more important than going and sitting in a stand. So we're now about, oh, I'm going to say 17 days or so from the end of deer season. And I really don't doubt that I'll squeeze the trigger on a deer just so I can have some more meat in the freezer, but it hasn't happened yet. All right, moving on. 
This week I have my final interview from the Unicoi Callmaker Show in North Georgia that I went to a couple of weeks ago. This interview is with Doug Morgan and Richard Hudson. And we're talking about the Turpin-style box call again, or as I started calling them last week, instruments. So you guys listening should know, these two guys are good friends with each other, and they requested to be interviewed together, which, of course, I was more than happy to do. Actually, when I asked each one of them for an interview, they each said yes and asked me if I had a good bleeper. I assured them that I do, and told them to let it rip. And, well, it turns out that neither Doug nor Richard made mention at all of Auburn University or the University of Tennessee, so I didn't have to bleep out one single word of our interview. I'm going to quit blabbing now, and let's get into the interview with Doug Morgan and Richard Hudson, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I am here at the Unicoi Turkey Call Maker Show and I have Richard Hudson and Doug Morgan with me and we are talking about their Turpin style box calls and I'm going to let each one of these guys introduce themselves to you and tell a little bit about themselves and their company and then we're going to start talking about some of these calls because well, these are these are works of art, and then they make music on top of that, so it's good music too. So we'll get started in here. I'm Doug Morgan. I'm from Brandon, Mississippi, and I've been making uh, these turpin style calls about 12 to 15 years. I can't really remember. Just something I get out there and I love to do. 12 to 15 years, that's a lot longer, I think, than most people here have been making them, but I may get slapped right here. I'm Richard Hudson. I'm from Woodlawn, Tennessee. I've been building calls now for uh, right about eight years, thanks to Doug, who wouldn't build me a turkey call. I had to build my own. <laughs> so I decided to uh, you know, build what I wanted to build, what I like to hear. So you know, I decided on the, the Turpin style call because I really like the way their design was and just try to, you know, put my own little spin off of it. So just make what I like to hear and what yeah. will actually kill a turkey. Yeah. So a question I have for both of you is, did you make other box style, other style box calls, I should say, before you started making the Turpin style? I'm not on the box call. This is the first style I started. So main first reason one I started stuck with it too. And the main reason is because the tools I had at the time. I knew okay. I, I didn't have a way to cut at the angle to make a call style box. So I, I tinkered with just doing straight sides. Right. And uh, I got the Howard Harlan book whenever it came out, and that gave me some dimensions and stuff to read about, and it's just kind of gone from there. Yeah. How about you, Richard? Did you make well, anything else? No, sir. I, I didn't make any other kind of box calls. I really started out building some wing bone calls, and then once I run across Mark Sharp, I ended up sending all of my wing bone making materials to him, and just, because if I need a good wing bone, I'll just go get one from him. But I hunted with a gentleman out of Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, that, that, that built a box. And I really like that style of call. I like the way it sounded. I like the way it run. I like the way it held and the way it felt. You know, I, like I said, I've built some pot calls, and I, I will build trumpet calls every now and then. But primarily, the love just ended up with the box call. And and we was all friends on Pro Board, mm -hmm. and, and then. Of course, he wouldn't build me one, so I ended up going to Doug and asking Doug to build me one, and his response was, was, you build turkey calls, make your own. And then, you know, uh -oh. there's, there's, there's been a many a, a many a day of cussing at him because my arm's sore, my hand hurts, I got arthritis, bursitis, and, and, and everything else. So I started building my own, and then there was a big rip and, and ended up, me and Doug has remained friends throughout this whole entire process, and 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 you know, if I need advice, uh, you know, I'll go to him, or and and I'll also go to Mark Sharp, even though he doesn't build a box call, he's very knowledgeable on how they run, 
he runs them very good, and he's probably got some of my better boxes. Uh, I've played around with different style of woods, different sizes of a turpin style call, but our, my style of call is not as wide as the original turpins that I've seen or the more common turpin style call. Mine has a different radius and has a different radius on the lid. Mm -hmm. Basically what makes it a, a turpin style, and correct me if I'm wrong, Doug, but what makes it more of a turpin style is one, it has a handle. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that pretty much defines it as like a hen box. Then it, it has no spring right. to create any downward pressure and you get the back pressure off of it that a spring will give you. So that, that allows your call to you, you to be able to manipulate the, the, the lid of that call. And one thing that I've had numerous people tell me is, is the more you play with it, the more you learn to call. Mm -hmm. You know, and with my style of call, is I found that to be true because you, you learn where to apply pressure at, downward pressure, back pressure, you know, to, to get that call to roll. Yeah. Uh, Turpin style call has more roll to it. It's got, it, a, got a harder got, break. Got a harder break yeah. and more yawk. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's obvious when you when you hear the two styles. When you hear a call style and a turpin style right. run side by right. side, you can it, they break like that to me. You know, getting back to the guy in Memphis, you know, I had begged him to build me one, and he said you need to build one yourself. So yeah. you did. So I kind of did, but. And, and talking about the, the difference in the calls, there's a guy in Mississippi, he calls them, and, and they're wonderful calls, and I've killed a lot of turkeys with the call style, but he calls them yip-yips and ours yawk yawk Because it's, it's a, right. that that break and that yawk on the end is what does it, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think when you're dealing with, with a, a, a turpentine-style call, that I, I've said this many a times to different people that, that you have a dog and you have a goose. In between that dog and that goose is a turkey. And you, you're trying to build that call. You don't want it to sound like a dog yipping. You don't want to sound like a goose honking. So you want to get that yelp, 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 yelp. You want to be able to get that roll and get that high, you go from high to low. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, you should be able to call real low with that. Too many times have I heard people say, I'll, I'll never, I, I, I could use my box for locating a turkey, locating calls. Right. But they use a different style call to finish the turkey. You, you can call a turkey, a mini turkey has been called from the tree to the gun, you know, off of a box call. It, it, it's as much the hunting aspect of knowing when to call, what to call, what that turkey's saying. Ball hunting has taught me more on individual turkey sounds and what turkeys are doing right. than, than anything else. And of course now, you know, I've, I've, I've bought, <clears throat> since I've kind of got into the business, you know, I've bought several, you know, long boxes and I've bought short boxes and, and it just wasn't the the sound that I was specifically looking for, even though I have bought some good ones, got some great ones, you know, got some great friends that build them. But I just never learned the bad habit of how to build a different style of call, so I just, I, 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 I wasn't trying to distinguish between the two. I was just trying to build what I could kill a turkey with. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't build a call style box. I don't believe I could. Or, or saw and glue box. I couldn't do it. I, I don't got the patience. You, to you don't there think put, you could do it today, even no. with better tools in, than you started uh, out with? Or? No. I don't got the patience to put them checkers on the side nope. of it. Oh, wow. I'm oh, no, I mean, you, yeah. you know, I mean, them boys, I mean, I, I take my hats off to them. You know, I think they may, they build some outstanding calls. I've yeah, heard, I you, and you set up here, you hear them. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's a many a turkey killed across the United States every year that's not killed by what's considered to be, you know, a, a professional type hunter. 
Yeah. You know, there's been a, I killed my fair share, and I'm there, not a professional type hunter. I can promise you that. There's been a many, a, many old country redneck boys that went out there and you know and and, and just wear them out. You Absolutely. know, I mean, no question. Uh, well, I, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at a call that each one of you've made and brought over here, and there are some differences in these calls. I want to hear your takes on the differences, each of you because I can tell you visually what I see, but that uh, that's not going to tell you or t tell the listeners as much as you guys are going to tell them since you created these. And, Doug, I know you're going to say that your call sounds better than Richard's. And no, I know Richard's going to sound that. that his call sounds better than yours, but uh, I, I, what, I, I, what are we looking at? Because it's, it's going to be length and, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, depth and width primarily from what I'm looking visually, but let's talk about the the real differences in that, why why they are different. I like these wider paddles, just mainly because I like the way they, they look. Uh, Richard's calls are going to be taller because he's got them big old meat hooks for hands. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I, I can go. I do. I can he go can with a smaller, yeah. but I like to keep their deeper. One thing for me is they're deeper because I want to keep this handle out of this cavity right here. Okay. Because that's going to affect it. Right. Affect your sound chamber. And uh, his radius is going to be steeper than mine, but that's just what because we both... Because his paddle's more narrow. Is that, both is that right? Yeah. My, uh, my, oh, my the radius paddle. on the walls. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, I see that now. My radius on my lids is is greater than yeah. than Doug's are, yeah. and they're greater than some of the other guys that's building them. When you when you get to looking at the thickness of the lid, you know how it goes. Right. You know, so mine has a greater radius on it because because of that, I think it allows me to change the radius of my box. My radius comes up and it drops off in the back more than it does on most all turpin style boxes that I have seen. Right. More, they, they do have a radius, but mine drops off more in the back. I've had some guys that have, you know, collector guys and, and guys that actually owned original turpin calls and played them and stuff like that. And, and I've had a couple guys that I highly respect that come up and told me, says, you'll cause a, a horse of a different color. It, 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 I'm not saying I built a, a, my own type of call, you know, that I reinvented a wheel, because right. it, you know, it's a box call built with a turpin influence, mm -hmm. you know. Now, if you, you look at Doug's, and we go to the handle portion, you know, he, he turns a round handle, mm -hmm. but it's a thicker handle than I do, and I turn more of a, a thinner wedge-shaped handle because it's the way I like to hold the comb. I like the, the paddle or the handle to kind of just sort of lay in my hand, okay. and I got a couple fingers over it. And it's just the way that I actually hold the call because it, it just gives me the ability to, to let the call roll with it. Uh, one of the first hen boxes that I actually own is Doug's box. Uh, and I actually was building boxes at the time. And Doug built me a box and sent me a box, and, and I was actually turkey hunting up on Fort Campbell, and my wife called me and says, my box call coming, because I was waiting on it. My box call coming in the mail. And I went and picked it up, and I mean, I left the woods. I drove to the house, I picked it up, or I went back in there where I was at, and I'd, I'd been on some hens earlier that morning, yeah. I was fall hunting, and I got in there, and I went to key key on that box, and hitting that box, and, call on that box and I think I sent you a picture I said I had that call I was back in the woods maybe about maybe an hour 35 40 minutes something like that and I sent him a picture of the, the turkey hanging in the tree with his box hanging off of it and I, I need that box back too by the way <laughs> no, you, ain't getting, you ain't getting that box back that, bo that box is in a very safe place now at an now, undisclosed now, location you would you would think that you know I would take and possibly copy that box you know I right. love that box right yeah but, but I didn't, you know, I did not go out and, and intentionally measure it. I didn't go out and intentionally copy it. 
you know, contrary to some beliefs, but just, you know, you, you kind of develop your own. You know, you, you want to make your own statement in a call world if you exactly. can. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Doug don't want to be like me. I don't. Be I don't want to be like Doug. Yeah. I mean, I well, maybe maybe when Doug grows up, he'll be like me. <laughs> you know, I want people to look and say, Doug Morgan made that call, and they can look at Richard and, and say, exactly Richard Hudson right. made that call. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, and, and I think they can. We're we're not really in it. You know, that's a oh. great thing about the turkey calling world. Would I'm gonna say ninety percent. We're we're not in competition with each other. Right. You know, regardless of. Uh, of what a turkey show is, you know. You mean you go, you go to, you go to Nashville and go to the judging contest. You know, you know. We don't want no judging contest down here. Right. We we want turkey like-minded people coming together, having a very good, great social event, and and just really buy, sell, trade, mm-hmm. calls. There, there's no greater feeling in the world. And a callmaker to me. Don't chime around on it. He's seen it this morning. He done it this morning himself. When you got a little child walks up there, young children walks up there, and he's like clay. You know, you can mold him. Oh yeah. He's learning. He's going to listen. He ain't learned no bad habits yet. I sat there, take a call, show him how to run that call, hand that call to him. And he'll sit there and start learning. And you take a, you take an older person, an older, an older gentleman come in there, or an older guy. He comes, he picks it up. He kind of halfway listens to what you're telling him. Mm-hmm. You know, on mm-hmm. how you run my style of call because you run my style of call one way, you run Doug's a different way. Yeah. Doug runs just a touch bit different. Mine, mine runs a touch bit different than Russell's. Or anyone else's. Mm-hmm. You, you, they're gonna run just a little bit different because it's the influence of, you know, how much influence is put into it. Yeah. You know, that's my influence. I'm influencing that call. Doug's influencing that. Yeah. We we got me and Richard. We have learned a lot from each other because there's some things that he'd come up with, and I tried worked in my call and vice versa with him. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah, we almost got several, each other on speed dial because several you know, years, yeah, several years ago we was on the phone every day. There, there's nothing worse and than a squeaking spring or a, a squeaky screw. Exactly. You get a uh, and call me like, how do I get that out? Of how do you get? Well, try this, try that, try this, try that, and you know, and and you get it out, and he'd be like, would you get it out? Well, yeah, this is what I've done. Well, the next time he gets one, you know. He might not necessarily call me because he's going to try what I said or I'm going to try what he said. Right, yeah. You know, Yeah. me, you know, I ain't trying to be just a 100% tearjerker here, but there's a few people that I'd walk through hell for, and Doug Morgan's one of them. Well, I won't, I won't let that part get out. I don't want people hearing how soft you are. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> Most of them know me about a different man. <laughs> Most of them probably gonna be shocked that you ain't hit no bleep on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness. But well, you know this extends our turkey season. Yeah. I'd bring turkey hunting eat, and and I can, and yeah, turkey hunting. And when this turkey season, I'm not gonna be in the shop. Oh but, yeah. You know, you get out there, and I get out there nearly every day, and I'm in the shop working on something. And, yeah, I just love it, yeah. and it's a good feeling when you take a piece of wood that the good Lord's put on you, you know, and and go to working on it, and you hit, put a paddle on it, and you hit that first lick, and you know it's gonna make a turkey call. Yeah, it's, it's a real good feeling. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, so you've been making calls, you've been making the turpin style calls for a while. Did you make other calls before you started making boxes, or oh, you yeah. started? Okay. Yeah, I so, made pot calls and I make trumpets. Okay, so when you made your first call that you took to the woods and called in your first turkey, what was that like for you? I mean, how satisfying it was, was it? Was it better it was than the first one I ever made? You know that I that I called a turkey on the right. pot call. It was a slate, and I, I absolutely loved it. But I got a bigger thrill. When I built a mahogany box, that hen box that had that handle on it about that long, 
And the third series of calls, man, he hammered me. And I thought, you know, I'd work with this. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. You know, Richard. I, no, go ahead. You know, it just, the, the, the box part, him one answering and, and killing him with that first box was, was bigger to me than that pot call. Yeah. Yeah. How about for you, Richard? Uh, like I said, I started out building, you know, Wingbo. Right. You know, one, it doesn't take a whole lot of different type of equipment to build a, uh, right. a Wingbo. Yeah. You know, especially one that, that sounded like the one that I built. To build some good ones, it takes a little bit better equipment. But, you know, the, the first time I can remember killing a turkey w with a box type call or like that was an old push-pull old push -pull Aspie, you know, had that sound to it. You know, and I killed that old bird. But, but far as the box calls, you know, you know, I'm like Doug. I built a call, and and I called these birds. You know, I hunt. I hunt different types of rain. I mean, I, I can hunt big fields, woods, whichever one. And these birds are out in the field, and, and I called these birds about six, seven hundred yards across these open fields to it. And I'm like. Man, I, you know, you you just I, I ain't never done nothing like that with with a pot call. Yeah. You know, now I built trumpet calls even before I built box calls, and I'd already killed birds with trumpet calls, and you know, I killed birds with some of the pot calls that I built. But when you started, when you built a box call and you started calling them in with it, I mean, you know, you just fall in love with a box call because with a trumpet call, as long as I use the same diameters. I'm basically going to get pretty close to the same, same sound, sound every yeah. time. Yeah. Maybe just a little bit of variance depending on the type of material. Right. But when you get to a box call, every piece of wood has its own sound, its own personality. And what you do is, is strive to get it out of it. You know, I'll tune my boxes, not just the amount of paddles you have. You'll, you'll have way more paddles than you will boxes because you need to find that right paddle for that box mm -hmm. and then with me i'll even mic my screws on the head and the head of my screws and have just a little bit of variance between them and then once i get the box tuned i'll change them screws around and see if i can change it even more and make a difference and sometimes i found that just a a little bit more flexibility or a little bit more radius when you be able to turn and flex that that paddle will make all the difference in the world. Oh yeah. And and that's that's by not that's with just taking the time to tune the box from the back of the box all the way to the front of the box. And that's to include, you know, the difference in the paddle to the difference of the screw. Yeah. Some some boxes like different shots, don't it does? Yep. I do. You know, you brought up something that I hadn't even thought about till you mentioned it, and that is tuning a turpin style call because, you know, whether it's a lynch style call or a cost style call that has a spring on it, I think anybody with an ear for sound can tune one of those. But I'm looking at these and I'm thinking you got to have more than an ear for sound to be able to tune a turpin style call because of that play and, and I mean it, it's got a I bet you could make a quarter of a turn oh, tighten or loosen much. on this and it would it'll change it um, I mean change it a thousand ways I don't put my glasses on really when I'm turning the box because I'll put that screwdriver in there and, and sometimes you turn it you feel the turn of the screwdriver in your hand, but you didn't. You can't necessarily see it with your, your eyes in the screw when you turn the screw. Just to change it just a little bit, but sometimes that little bit is what makes the difference between. You see, you know, that's gonna fall. That's gonna make it fall. <coughs> right. It's, right. It's where it's striking the It's where you lid is striking. And just the a little bit. Will will change it. Yeah. I, one of the biggest questions I have all the time, I think. I don't know about Doug, but is people always ask me about wood grain. You know, what kind of grain do you want 
to to build a box on it. I, I like I like my wood grain to be you know my perfect one would be a quarter saw board that that has a little bit of a hook, you know either hook right or hook left, uh, in 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 my the wood itself in a block of wood. Because you see you notice on this one it doesn't run completely horizontal, but it's not vertical. It just sort of kind of runs across diagonally. Right. And or or to or to come up and then hook one direction or the other. And in my opinion, the wood that you actually select can mean all the difference in the world of what you get. Hmm. You know, if it if it's if it's too vertical, to me I seem like it the box when I'm running them, it's just maybe just a little bit too poppy. It's got a little bit of a pop in it when you when you're trying to stroke it, you know. And it just it's real easy to mess them kind of calls up. But if you got a little bit more flatter grain that 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 has a, a, a hook into it, left or right, it seems like that that lid just grabs it better. Mm -hmm. And and it's gonna sound right. sound more even on the sides. Right. That, that, more vertical, you're going to have one side sound pretty good and the other side will sound dead, in my right. opinion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That inch and a quarter yeah. wood diameter, you know, the width of that, that call, you wouldn't believe just how much sometimes one side is different than the other, and it's only, you know, an inch and three-eighths or so wide, you know. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah, it makes a big difference, yeah. you know. And, and there's some wood, the, the most aggravating call. What's your most aggravating call? <laughs> I'd take the hammer to him. <laughs> Get the hammer. Me, you know, I do the bandsaw. You know, I, I go in there and take my bandsaw and I just reach, I'll rip. flip it on and just reach up there and just smack it and just cut it in half. It, it's getting revenge on that Mental. dude making you work that long. To, For something to, that you're not going to be able to yeah. get. But you can't quit. You Mineral can't. stain poplar. You, you can't it's, quit. It's caused me because it's, it's beautiful wood. Oh, yeah. But, and I've, I've learned some tricks on it, fooling with it, but that that mineral flop to be in one side and not in the other, right. it, you can't hardly tune them. I can't. I mean, I'm sure there's people that can, but I can't. I don't use much poplar. I use very little poplar. I, I like a little bit uh, more harder wood body mm -hmm. uh, on the boxes. I think that the contrast between using a, a, a soft wood body with a harder lid or a harder body with a softer lid, or you can use a, a harder body with a harder wood. Right. You know, if you're going to use, to me, I really like teak. You know, I think teak had always been one of our more go-to calls. I mean, really love the way teak sounds. I mean, it is a very good sounding box. I like snake wood. I've used a lot of snake wood. But then again, you're talking about using a very heavy wood on a little bit more softer wood mm -hmm. body and like if I use apple or crab apple you know crab apple is a fairly hard wood it's a dense wood you can use a harder wood like maybe uh, an African black wood or you can use a uh, Macasker ebony or you use snake wood you know I really like the snake wood I like I like the way snake wood some people ain't had as much luck with snake wood it, it seems like I have but I think a lot of that has to do with my opinion is is that some of that is to deal with the radius of my lid. Mm -hmm. It's the way I can roll that <laughs> lid on that box. I mean, you can right. really roll it. Yeah. And you want to get that pop <laughs> on that bottle and shut it off. Everybody tells me that, man, you make a raspy call. Well, I like rats. Rats make gobble gobble and heartbeat. You make him come. In high pitch calls, he can stand out there and gobble at it and stand there. Yeah. That's my opinion, but... That's, that's true. But then again, at the same time, I also think that a gobbler is more apt to come to a mature hen right. than he is a young hen. Yeah, it's all about survival. Because that young hen, that young hen, he can just stand out there and call and make her come to him. And make her come to him. Right. And, and most times she will. Uh, and, and well, I'm not going to compare them to women. Uh, you, you, can, you, take an, you take an older one and more set in her ways, and, and, and he'll go to her. And he knows he has to go to her because she's set in her ways. She might not necessarily come to him. Yeah. You know, so that older hen sound 
will make that gobbler come to you more than that real high pitch yeah that ye, the ye you know yeah 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 well he'll gobble he'll talk then he'll just really talk and gobble yeah. but uh that don't necessarily mean he's coming but you get out there and throw some of that old old hen on old hen on his little nasally raspy hen on him and he just almost can't resist it i mean he's he gonna have to come look at her yeah you know of course, most of the time he catches me moving before he gets there. And rookie. <laughs> rookie. Well, that's better than what I do. I let him get right on in there, and then I miss him. Miss him. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell there. you right now. If a man says he ain't missed turkey, he ain't been turkey hunting long. <laughs> He's a liar, and he ain't been hunting long. Oh, uh, I just pray that the good Lord gives me the opportunity to miss another one. Yeah. Me and you both. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Amen on Absolutely. That. I agree. So then I got two things for each of you. Will each of you play the call that you brought out here for me and then let us know how we can get in touch with you if we want to see some of your calls or better yet want to have one shipped to us and I'll let y'all decide who you, who goes first no <laughs> stage flip, fright you want to flip a coin <laughs> uh-huh. I got heads find me on Facebook or you can call me at 601-506-9137. It is 9137. I like to please people. You always want to give them what they want, you know, yeah. as far as the, the turkey sound. It, it's very difficult sometimes to build a call. The guy says, oh, I want this because I'll listen to this podcast, and to me, my voice sounds different Absolutely. than yep. it does Absolutely. I hear in my head. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, am I hearing this call one way and somebody else is hearing it totally different? I even ask myself, how's that turkey hearing that call? Mm-hmm. You know, so you want the, you want the cadence, you know. You want the realism in it. Now, mine will roll over just a little bit more. And it She's just looking. She's looking for a spot to land. She's then she gets a little bit excited. Then she gets red fly out. She goes. To hit that ground, she'll go. She'll shut up. Hopefully, he pitches. You're hunting an Alabama turkey. That's the ones that shut up. And then when he when pitches, the ground. <laughs> then when he pitches, you just. <laughs> now hopefully he's on his way in, and that's when you set it down between your legs. Try not to overcall at him like I do most of the time because you love to hear him gobble. Because <laughs> he sits out there and just, ow, 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 and you lock him up out there in the middle of the field somewhere. Uh-huh. You know your phone number? <laughs> yeah. My, uh, now, I'll give you my phone number, too. Doug Morgan, you quit looking at me. You're going to make me a remember. It's, uh, you can get a hold of me on 931-627-9178. And are you 100% on that number? Oh, I'm sure on that okay. one. I'm, I'm sure on that one. Yeah, that's my cell number. You can get a hold of me on that. I'm also over on Old Gobbler. Yeah. Turkey hunting forum. I uh, go by strutting rutting over there. Okay. 
I'm on Facebook. You can just look me up on Richard Hudson and join in with all the other people that asked me to friend them. Uh, or you, I don't have no problem with it, I guess, until I run out of them. But please don't give me no virus. I can't afford another phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, I mean, I don't mind shipping them, but I'd a lot rather sell face-to-face. Oh, I would. Yeah. Selling oh, face-to-face is the way to go. Because yeah. I could sit there, and, and even if the guy don't like that particular one, or you might, the way he holds the panel and the way he runs that panel at home, I might need to take a little bit more up yep. or let a little bit more off because of the way he's stroking that comb. Right. You know, it's very difficult even here, you know, because of all the turkey sounds going on, you know, yeah. to make that adjustment here because you can get a turkey call out of tune real quick. Absolutely. Well, but, are either or both of you going to be in Nashville? Having I go, a, a booth I, I, I in go, Nashville. but I do not set up in Nashville anymore. Okay, no, sir. Okay, I won't be there. All right, it, it's real nice to go. It's just that I'm just not going to go down and, and pay that kind of money. I'd rather really give away that two, three thousand dollars it takes to be there for the weekend. I'd rather really give that away to kids in calls, yeah, yep, to yep. wounded warriors. Yeah, handicapped hunter. Then I would to had to pay that because you know it, you, you got to sell X amount of calls just to make back your money. I, I'd rather give them calls away to a child. Now, I'm not trying to blow my own horn. I give five calls away this morning to small kids. Yeah, and each one of them has touched my heart one way or the other. Yeah. You know. That five-year-old that could run them calls so right. good this morning. Right. Man. Oh, man, I miss that. He could run them. And I said, you ever kill any turkeys? That was up a zero. Uh-oh. I said, do you go turkey hunting? A lot. He was running one of my calls, and I looked at him. I said, send me a picture when you kill one with it. He goes to Richard's table. Richard was impressed with him running it, too. And he'd give him one found out later the kid had come up here to buy a call and had lost his billfold. Oh no. So it made his day and it made our day. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you got to give back. The one thing I try to tell them is, is to remember where you come from. Always give back and remember where you come from. Remember your bring upbringing. Mm-hmm. I always like a, an old saying, I seen it on TV one time, it was ASNL. A son never forgets, and it haven't lost my parent, my dad. You know, it, it that adds special meaning to us. You know, a son should never forget where he comes from and his upbringing. And, and I try to instill that in child. If, if, but and correct me if I'm wrong, I'll get sentimental now. But, but if I could save or change the route that one child takes, it's worth every call I've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's passing it along. Yeah. Well, giving a kid one of those calls, you're sparking that interest and that right. desire for them to get out there. And we all know if they're out in the woods, there's they're not going to do something that's so bad yeah. that's going to be, you know, uh, life-altering right. for them. Whereas if they're at home or they're out on the streets, they can find enough trouble to get into that's life-altering. And Correct. So, you know, we all know that. And, you know, that's something that I've noticed that I picked up on, especially doing these interviews this afternoon. And I know that y'all know you're, you're special in your own way, but you're not special in the respect that you're not afraid to give one of your calls away to a kid. And I can't tell you how many of the call makers I have talked to that I have interviewed this afternoon that have said, I've given away three calls or I've given away two calls or five calls to kids and it I saw oh, there were two youngsters that came by with their dad a little bit earlier I was talking to I think I was talking to Don over here a little bit earlier this afternoon and they 
both had sacks full of calls. Oh, yeah. And Child, uh, 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 a kid down here can make out like a fat rat. Oh, yeah, yeah. no yeah. doubt. <laughs> <laughs> he make out like a fat rat. It would have cost me over $1,000 to walk out of well, here yeah. that bag. Well, I but, guarantee you, you, know, you I, I guarantee got, they yeah. paid a fraction. But, but then again, at the same time, you know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll have some people say, oh, you can't do this. Yes, I can. I build it. I give it to who I want. Absolutely. You know, because, but you always do it not just because you feel sorry for somebody. You do it because you're trying or you just, you're, you're, you're passing a piece of you along. Mm-hmm. Look how old and how long ago and these collectible calls, how long have they been around? Yeah. How long is that call going to be around after I'm gone? No telling. I just a little old country boy. You. I just a little old country boy from Arkansas. It's going to be here a lot longer than me. Yeah. I, I want I want people to to buy them, use them, what? pass use them, them down, and they go they go on and on and on. This is Papa's call. Yeah. Yeah. Call. Oh yeah. yeah. Daddy had a little old lynch slate call, one of those little round ones, yeah. you know, you stuck together and stuff. Peg call, and uh, he he worked at the highway department, and he found on side the highway. He brought that home, and I'd sit there and mess with it. Well, none of the other one, the other boys seemed to care too much about it. Yeah. You know, uh, now I had four brothers. You know, I got five sisters. <laughs> so, you know, I'm about the only one that kind of sort of took it up. And then and then later on in life, Robert, older brother, he, he really, I mean, he's a turkey killer. You know, you got turkey hunters, and I think you got turkey killers. <laughs> Doug Morgan's a turkey killer. I think I'm just a turkey hunter. You know, there's some people that just have ungodly amount of turkey knowledge, and and you know, I think it just really uh, shows. Yeah. In some people. Yeah, it does. See, I grew up new in the country. We didn't have air. There's old man across the street from me. He turkey hunted, then he went to World War II and fought the Germans. He'd come back, start back turkey hunting. He built his own calls. I could sit there across the street and listen to him. Mm-hmm. And I'd go over there, and I spent a lot of time over there just watching him. And that's just always amazed me. Spark your interest in Yep. And it just kind of yep. carried on from there. Yeah. And I think everybody that turkey hunts for a long time, sooner or later, wants to make a call right. that didn't kill a turkey with I think sure. that's just natural for them to want to do that. Yeah. Whether it be a you know a, a turtle shell or a wing bone or whatever, they just want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, good deal. It's a good feeling. Boy, it is. It is. Good deal. I mean, you, know, you 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 have influences through your throughout your life. I mean, you know, uh, when I was like in the eighth grade, we had what was called uh, industrial arts class in, in the old school I was in. And the guy teaching us woodworking, and, and he had us build, you could build different things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the first thing I ever built was an old cedar, I probably never talked to you about that one, was an old cedar box call. Really? It just glued it up. He showed us how to lay it out, pattern it out, and glue that box together. I said, like an eighth grade. Of course, the call sounded like I was in eighth grade, too. But, you know, I, I don't know whatever happened to it. You know, I'm pretty sure it probably got broke or ended up out in a dirt pile and we was using it for something else. But, but yeah, that, that really kind of sort of, you know, just the love of wood, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then spent many years in the military. It's, uh, it's good therapy. Mm. Good yeah. therapy. Yeah. My therapist thinks the same thing, too. It's just good therapy because I can go to my shop. I can sit down in my environment. I can put my Bluetooth in. I can call Doug. And most of the time he's telling me, if you won't talk to me, quit running that dad gun call. It's the truth. <laughs> he runs one nonstop. He, he's run one more than once. I can tell by how he played that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I run them better in the woods than I did today. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's hard, actually, to... to to perform in front of others, you know, or to... to well, that's what Russell... To, to come what up Russell and, said. Could he, you feel like he, he uh, insufficient? Russell sat right here and, and squawked on a box call, and, and I thought, I don't sound so bad. 
and then I turned good. and then I turned the microphone off and he played on that thing and I said I sound bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Deer in the headlights. <laughs> I might have just a little bit of a, uh, an advantage on that because of all the military years. You know, because when you're in the military, you do a lot of briefings and stuff like that. And being scared to speak in front of someone is not one thing that I've ever had a problem with. Now, I, I, don't, I don't meet very many strangers. I'll, I talk all the time. Watch your lip, Doug. Watch your lip. <laughs> you don't even have to edit that. Everybody knows me and Doug don't get laughing out of that one. But we just, it's, it's the love of the wood and the love of the sound and the love of the sport. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Not a job. No. And, you show, and like you said last night, oh, you if can't you want to get rich, don't build turkey cones. <laughs> no. I'll sell one just so I can buy some more wood. Buy yeah. more wood. Yeah. And you get a, you get a, it's it's a wonderful feeling. When somebody buys a call from you, and then in March or April they start sending you pictures. Yeah. With that call laying up on that yeah. dead turkey. That's yeah. I really, I really, Be I can, I've got a bunch of them. Best one I got from last from last spring was was uh, the guy that sent me the breast feather uh, in the envelope with the check. <laughs> <laughs> He killed, killed a bird with it before he paid for it. He nice. I sent a call to him and got it. And that afternoon, went turkey hunting the next morning, killed a turkey with it, took pulled the breast feather out, and sent me a check and nice. and had a breast feather in it. And that was, that was pretty special. Yeah. I still got the breast feather. I got it hanging up. It's up in the shop. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, guys, thank you all. I appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge and your passion with us. And... If any of you guys listening to the show want to check out one of these turpin style calls, I think you couldn't go wrong getting in touch with either one of these two fellows and talking to them about taking one of these calls home. They they really are a work of art just sitting here on the table looking at them, and I think y'all would enjoy having one. So thank you guys, Richard, Doug. I appreciate y'all very much for your time. We appreciate the time, Andy. Thank you. Alright, thank you, sir. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. There are two more great guys who just eat, breathe, drink, and sleep turkeys and turkey hunting. I'm telling you, the entire Unicoi Callmaker show is full of guys just like these two. And I'm also going to say that any of the four Turpin style instrument makers that I interviewed while I was there at the Unicoi show will gladly make you and sell you turkey sounding and turkey killing box instruments. And I know if you're like me, you'll want an instrument from all four of them. But if you're interested in buying an instrument and or just learning more about the Turpin style box instruments, then call these guys and talk to them. Now, if you get their voicemail, leave them a message. They cannot hear their phone ringing when they're running saws and making those instruments that they make. And, of course, they can't call you back if you don't tell them how to do it. Personally, I'm holding off on buying one of these Turpin-style box instruments right now because I am committing myself to becoming proficient and comfortable using a tube and a trumpet style instrument this spring. Remember one of my goals for 2019 turkey season is to call in a bird using those two instruments this spring. 2020 however will be the year of the turpin style instrument. The turpins just sound so turkey to me. I really like those calls, those instruments a lot. Okay, so let's talk a little turkey soup real quick. The news is full of turkey-related info and special draw hunts right now. And I don't want you guys to miss an opportunity to get in the woods early, late, or often this coming spring. So listen up, because here we go. Draw hunt applications for the 2019 spring turkey season are now being accepted by the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish. Those applications are being accepted online and by telephone. The department is urging hunters to review season dates, application deadlines, and other information before applying for any licenses or 
of course, going afield. The application deadline for turkey permits is February the 13th at 5 p.m. And if you hunted in New Mexico last year, you're going to need to file your mandatory harvest report from last season's hunts to be eligible for this year's draw. Again, that's all in the rules and information booklet that you guys need to review if you're hunting in New Mexico this year. Okay, you guys who want to hunt in Idaho and want to tackle one of the special opportunity hunts, or as they call them, controlled hunts, then the applications for the turkey hunts are going to be accepted from February the 1st through March the 1st. No mail-in applications are going to be accepted this year. So if you want to hunt those controlled hunts, then you can apply online, in person, or by phone. And there are going to be 16 controlled turkey hunts across the state of Idaho this year. And seven of those are going to be youth-only hunts beginning April the 8th, 2019. Now results from the draw will be available online no later than March the 20th with leftover tags going on sale April the 1st. South Carolina hunters, listen up. You know, a few weeks ago, I made mention of an article that was posted by a gentleman named Dan Gettings. And in the article, Dan talked about some changes to South Carolina's turkey season that were being proposed or that he thought were going to be proposed. So in a recent article by Dan, he says that what he thought was going to be proposed is not true, that what was proposed is actually worse than what he thought, and that the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources recommends an opening date of spring turkey season of April the 10th, with the season extending to May the 15th. And Dan seems to think that that is a mistake you guys who live in South Carolina who want to read Dan's most recent article can go on to Google and type in Sportsmen Deserve Better, Dan Gettings, and that article should pop up. The reason that I'm even mentioning that article is because now is the time to get involved. If you don't believe that the Department of Natural Resources in South Carolina is doing the right thing, then you guys are the ones who need to voice your opinions. And now is the time to do that. Don't wait until the proposed regulation has been made into law, because at that point in time, you're too late. So, most of you guys know that I try to stay pretty unpolitical or unbiased on the show, but I can't and won't resist sharing this story with you guys. So I'm going to read this article and put some emphasis on some words as I go through the article, of course. Now, I found this story on a website that, quite honestly, I don't believe I've ever even been on before. The website is www.pe ta.org. Yes, PETA's website. And I'm sure the wheels are turning in your heads right now before I even start reading this. The title of the article is Hunters May Be Illegally Releasing Non-Native Turkeys in New Brunswick. The article was written by Zachary Tolliver on January the 17th, 2019. Zachary writes, in a remote area of New Brunswick, Canada, turkeys are being hit by cars, starving and dying because of the harsh winter climate. How did these birds, who aren't native to the province, end up either dead on the roadside or searching for handouts in the deep Canadian snow? When PETA friend Mary de la Vallette saw two turkeys strutting through her yard, she immediately knew that the non-native birds could be linked to something devious. For one thing, they appear to be anything but wild. They've made the rounds in the neighborhood, picking at bird feeders, and even coming to De La Villette when she's called them. She claims that someone deliberately released captive bred turkeys in New Brunswick. Why? Because they want to start a hunting season, she told CBC News. 
experts agree that humans could very well be attempting to inflate the province's turkey population artificially in order to justify killing the animals during a licensed hunting season. Jim Wilson, a naturalist studying the origins of turkeys in New Brunswick, told CBC News that there, quote, are almost certainly birds dot 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 being released into the wild by people, end quote. He emphasized that these turkeys will endure a slow death from starvation and exposure. For years, bloodthirsty hunters in New Brunswick have pushed for a turkey hunt. The province's turkey conspiracy may be yet another ploy by hunters to manipulate and increase animal populations in order to satisfy their lust for a violent blood sport, releasing, quote, captive exotic, end quote, animals is illegal in New Brunswick. But Minister of Energy and Resource Development Mike Holland, an ardent turkey hunter himself, has refused to give any specifics about charging anyone caught illegally releasing turkeys. Holland the founder of the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation has made his opinion about killing sensitive animals for sport clear. According to CBC News, he said that it's ridiculous that New Brunswick doesn't have a turkey hunt. What can you do? Killing animals where they live and raise their families for a cheap thrill is cruel and cowardly. It takes a... It takes a small person indeed to kill living beings who are minding their own business just to feel more powerful and in control. Hunting turkeys is senseless violence, and in New Brunswick, it's illegal. Contact Holland and urge him to investigate who is releasing turkeys in New Brunswick and ensure that there are no turkey hunts in the future. Contact information for Minister of Energy and Resource Development, Mike Holland, phone number 506-453-3826, fax number 506-444-4367, email mike.holland at gn b dot c a seriously someone out there is releasing pen raised wild turkeys in canada to bolster the population so that a hunting season will be opened i'm guessing that whoever is doing this is doing so because it is just way too much trouble to drive 50 to 100 miles and pay an outfitter 250 dollars plus a small tip to hunt wild turkeys for a day using the outfitter's shotguns so that that hunter doesn't have to worry about taking a gun across the U.S.-Canada border. I've done a little research and it doesn't appear that taking meat from the U.S. to Canada is very difficult. So I don't believe any Canadian hunter would find too much trouble in coming to the U.S. to hunt for the meat. But can you imagine the time, trouble, an expense of raising wild turkeys solely for their release into the wild to boost the population to a huntable level for what? Maybe a one bird per season limit in New Brunswick if the season is okayed? I'm guessing doing what I just mentioned would far exceed the cost of paying a main outfitter to hunt turkeys for many days at $250 per day. Now, notice I just said I'm guessing. So, a person whose views on the matter differ from mine might say now, oh, all of what you just said is just speculation on your part. And that person would be partly right. But the PETA article is based 100% on pure speculation. Listen to the verbs in this article. And it starts in the title. Hunters may be the non-native bird's could be. They appear to be. She claims that. Humans could very well be attempting. There, quote, are almost certainly birds being released into the wild by people. The province's turkey conspiracy may be yet another ploy. 
So PETA is asking its members to write Mr. Holland, and I encourage you guys to do the same. Mr. Holland, after all, is a turkey hunter himself, and I challenge you to show me one turkey hunter who doesn't enjoy talking to another turkey hunter about turkeys and turkey hunting. Let Mr. Holland know that you may have interest in traveling to New Brunswick at some point to hunt turkeys if a season is opened in the future. I'm sure many businesses and people living in New Brunswick would love for us hunters to go up there and spend some of our hard-earned money chasing New Brunswick wild turkeys. All right, I'm sorry about that, but that garbage from PETA fires me up. People actually believe that trash because it's on the internet and coming from an organization that they have heard of before but don't really know the truth about how that organization operates. Okay, so this guy who has a lust for a violent blood sport, who kills animals where they live and raise their families for a cheap thrill just to feel more powerful and in control, is done for the week. But if you found anything in this week's episode to be helpful, then please do me a favor. Please use the share button on your podcast player and share this week's episode via text message with a hunting buddy or two that you have in your contact list on your phone. That really helps me to spread the word about the show, and you just never know. The buddy that you send that link to via text message just may be the buddy who learns something while listening to this show and uses that information to call in a turkey for you this coming season. That's it. That's all that I have for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing all of you who have a lust for a violent blood sport again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.